The well is an ordinary place that takes on extraordinary meaning through encounters with Jesus. Join Father Anthony Messer from St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church in Arlington, Virginia, in search of transformation, healing, revival, and refreshment. Good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA. Everyone who's joining here in person here in Arlington, those who are on the other side of the camera in Leesburg, we are excited that you're joining us on week two of a series called You Are What You Ask. You Are What You Ask, where we are talking about, for those who weren't here last week, a strategy to make better decisions as we approach this new year and hopefully the rest of our life. Because in the end, making better decisions will lead to having fewer regrets when all is said and done. If you missed part one of the series last week, if you missed part one, first of all, where were you if you missed part one? We had a great time here last week, but in case you missed it, one of the few that missed it, you can make sure you go onto our YouTube page afterwards and get caught up. I'll just get you caught up real, real quick because last week kind of set the stage for the series. And that is basically this, that every decision that we make, every decision we make ultimately affects the outcome of our life. We don't always think that way in the moment. We think of just like we're making a small decision right now, probably won't have any impact on the future. Or at least we think it, even if we think it might, we don't want to think about it in the moment. But ultimately, in the end, you're smart enough to figure this out, is that where you are today is the result of decisions you made in the past. Because decisions are the steering wheel of life. For example, your health today and my health today is probably largely affected by the decisions I made yesterday. The decisions that I make at the dinner table, after the dinner table, after the after the dinner table, okay, those decisions affect my health when all is said and done. My marriage is ultimately going to be affected by the decisions I make when I come home from work and I'm tired and my wife is tired and the kids are grumpy and everyone's upset about everything. The decision I make and how to respond to that situation is going to affect the health of my marriage. My career, ultimately, when all is said and done, okay, all the degrees and all the studies and all the certificates, all that stuff, all in the end, it comes down to one thing. Your decision about how good you're going to be at Subway Surfer and Angry Birds, that's going to affect your career more than anything else. Because we know that in the end, life is nothing more than the sum of our decisions. And as we saw last week, ultimately, it's not just our decisions that are going to affect our lives. It's the decisions of others. And that raises the stakes. Because if you're a parent, the decisions you're making are going to affect your children. And even if you're not a parent yet, the decisions you make today will affect your children one day. If you're married, the decisions you make affect your spouse. If you're a team lead at work, the decisions you make affect the rest of your team. There's no such thing, no matter what people will tell you, there's no such thing as a private decision. Every private decision has public implications. And you know that because a lot of us, I swear I hear all the time, Father Anthony, I got a raw deal in life uh, because of so-and-so my parents did or my uncle did or my parents didn't do or my boss did or whatever it may be. And we can easily see, right? Like we can easily see the impact of other people's decisions on us. Well, now what I'm telling you is you owe it to the people that you love. You owe it to the people that look up to you. You owe it to the people who may not even know you yet. You owe it to them to think through your decisions and to pause and ask the right questions because you don't know who's hanging in the balance. Our key thought for this series is this. Let's read this all together. And Leesburg, I want to hear you screaming out there too. All together. Good questions lead to better decisions. Better decisions lead to fewer regrets. That's the key thought of this series is in the end, I don't want to get to the end of this year and ultimately the end of my life with regrets. 
Well, how am I going to make sure that I don't have regrets? I'm going to make better decisions. And how am I going to make better decisions? By asking better questions. And the key to this statement here is the word better, okay, decisions from good questions. We all know how to ask dumb questions and make bad decisions, but we want to make better decisions by asking good questions. So let me tell you a bad question to ask when you're making a decision. Will this make me happy? That's what we usually ask. Will this make me happy? Will this make me comfortable? Will this make me rich? Will she find out? Will anyone ever know? These are the decisions that we usually, the question that we usually ask. We're going to ask for better questions in this series to hopefully make better decisions. Who remembers the question that we discussed last week? Question number one, who remembers? Anyone remember? It was? Oof. That's tough. Question number one up on the screen. Am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself really? Say it together. Am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself really? That one you have to ask twice. We talked about last week as I challenged you to tell the truth to yourself. To tell the truth to yourself even when the truth makes you feel bad. Now, this is the opposite of culture today. Culture today says, if anything makes you feel bad, don't do it. Even if it means lie to yourself. Better to lie to yourself than to feel bad about yourself. So the world today tells us if there's anything that, that, that makes you feel sad or uncomfortable or guilty or ashamed, just don't think about it. Just blame it on somebody else or just medicate it or just numb it or whatever it may be. And I said, no, you're better than that. You're better than that. So you're going to ask yourself hard questions because you care about the people. Like I said, you owe it to them and you owe it to yourself to be able to ask yourself, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself? Really? Why did I make that decision? Really? Why did that offend me so much? Really? Why won't I respond to that message? Really? Because as we talked about last week, you can't make the best decision for yourself until you are honest with yourself. That's all last week. Let's get into question number two. And question two, we're going to have a lot of fun with today. Question number two, all together, read it with me. What story do I want to tell? Again, what story? Today, we're going to ask the legacy question, which is what story do I want to tell? Because you know this if you've ever attended any funeral. Okay, we just had one this a few days ago. So this obvious whenever you attend a funeral, but just you don't need to wait to a funeral to figure this out. Ultimately, in the end, your life is a story. A story is going to be told about you when all is said and done. Maybe written in a newspaper, if they even have newspapers anymore, I don't know if they still exist. But someone's going to stand up at the end of your life and they're going to tell the story of your life. What will they say? You get to write the story. You get to say, you determine what's going to be said about you. Okay, my wife always jokes with me. I always say, I know exactly what I want said at my funeral. And she's like, you can't be that much of a control freak that even when you're dead, you're still in control of your funeral. I'm like, no, I can. I can. I found a way. Someone's going to tell a story of you, but you today, by the decisions that you make, get to affect the document that's being written because it's not written in stone yet. I have two kids, uh, 19, uh, yeah, 19, just turned 19, 19 and uh, 16, 17, whatever, maybe, okay? The older kids, okay? Whatever, teenage kids, okay? And I remember one of the things that they used to love to do, especially with my parents, but Marianne's parents, so, 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 but really with mine, they want to know all about me as a kid. What was dad like? And what did dad do? And tell us this, because Marianne was always good. She, Marianne came out the womb, okay, with the halo on top of her head. Like she was the best, okay? She was an angel. But me, I had a little bit of some stuff. And they loved to, love to, love to. Tell us what dad did here. And what did he do after that? And tell us more, Grandma. And tell us. 
and they love to hear those stories. And I got to be honest, as I'm hearing my parents tell the stories, there's some parts of the stories where I'm cringing. There's some parts of the stories where I'm like, please don't ask more details. Please don't ask more details. But there's other parts of the story that I love to tell. I love it. And I'm proud. Like, I love it when they ask me, tell us how you and mom met and tell us how, how you guys did dating. I'm very proud. Say, this is what we did before marriage. This is how we got engaged. This is how we, I'm very proud of that story. I could tell it to the mountaintops. I love it when they ask stories about how when I was ordained as a priest. Tell us what happened when someone invited you to the priesthood. Tell us how you approached that. I love that story. Love to shout that out. I love it when, when, they, when they ask stories about how we face certain challenges, okay, especially as a married couple, how we face those challenges. That's a story that I'm proud to tell. But if I'm honest and you're honest as well, there are parts of the story where I really hope they don't ask about. There are parts of the story when we get, when I start to tell that part, I'm like, you know, 1.5 speed, 1.75, like fast forward. And I'm hoping that they don't pick up that I, that I tried to skip over some parts. And there's some parts of the story that I'm be honest and you be honest too. There's some parts we just want to erase. We just wish chapter six would just kind of go away and that wouldn't even exist. How about you? Do you like the story that you're writing? Do you like the story that's going to be told about you? Well, if not, the good news is, while you cannot erase the past, you can absolutely write the future because it's a working document. And the way you do that is by asking this question. Maybe you, for example, maybe your story, I'm just throwing out some, some examples right here. Maybe your story is, went out with that guy, went out with that girl. After two dates, I knew he was a loser. Even he knew he was a loser after two dates. Everybody knew this thing wasn't going to work. But you know what? He just had those nice eyes. And he's just so cute. And if we go back to question number one, am I being honest with myself? Truthfully, it wasn't even about his cute and his eyes. It was just about, you know what? I'm done being single. I'm done. I am a... So you know what? You tried to make it work. And you tried to, you know, piece it together and put some duct tape over here. And you ended up making some decisions, doing some things that you never thought you'd do. That you regret. That you wish you could go back, but you can't. But here you are now. It's been a year, been two years, been whatever it is. Here you are now. The story of the last year has already been written, but the story of the next year isn't. And you got to decide. What's going to be the next chapter? Is the next chapter going to be roll the dice and see how it goes? Maybe you, your story is, you're a good guy, you're a good girl, but you, one night you were out with your friends, having some fun, and someone started passing around some drinks, and you had a few drinks, and you had maybe one few too many drinks, and you did something, and there are major consequences to that, and those consequences can't be erased, and now, as much as you regret that, as much as you wish it wasn't there, that's part of your story, and that's not going to go away. Maybe you was a decision, a career decision. It's a financial decision. It's a greed decision. Maybe for you, actually, the decision was a non-decision. It was a decision to do nothing when you should have done something. It was a decision to not ask for help, to not admit you have a problem, to not seek help. It was a decision to not take that chance, to not ask her out, to not accept that invitation. Whatever it may be, I don't know what it is, but I know this, the bottom line, those decisions... Those decisions are writing your story. So you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the people who love you and the people who look up to you to before you make the decision. Even I told you last week, I don't even care if you change your decision, but you owe it to yourself to at least pause and ask, what story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell about my college years? What story do I want to tell about how I face this challenge? 
What story do I want to tell about my relationship with this job? What story do I want to tell? Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1 says this. says, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. You know what that means? The, 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 the writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, was very poetic. And he's basically saying it only takes a little bit of junk to mess up something as beautiful as this ointment, just a little bit of junk. So I'm going to say it this way. I'll paraphrase it in my own words. Every decision becomes a permanent part of your story. Every decision becomes a permanent, start of your, permanent part of your story. Every decision becomes a permanent part of your story. That's why you got to learn to ask the question. Let's go back to the scenarios that I just gave a minute ago. Your story could have been different to what I said earlier. You went out with that guy for two dates. You realized he wasn't the one. And it could have been that your story could instead say that you listened to wise counsel. You listened to your mom. You listened to your dad. You listened to your priest. You listened to all your friends. And you stepped away from that. And that was hard. But that was the critical decision because that allowed you, first of all, to invest more in your relationship with God, which you really needed to do. And then God opened the door to Mr. Right or Miss Right or whoever Right may be. And because you made that hard decision, then you were able to meet that person that much quicker. That could be your story. The story about the person who went out that night. The story could have been that you were with your friends and they were pressuring you and there was so much pressure and so much pressure. And then you stood up and said, you know what? With all due respect, I'm not judging you, but I don't want that to be my story. And if that's a decision that you made, then you will be glad to tell that to your kids. You will sing that one from the mountaintops. You tell everyone that I was in this situation, I really wanted to, and I didn't, and I thank God because they ended up whatever it may be. Your decision could be how you went against fear, how you were terrified to take that step. And everything inside you said, go to the basement, play your video games, hide, don't do it. But you took that step. And your story ultimately reflects it. You are writing a story today and you don't know who or what it will impact. And all I'm telling you, message for today is simple. Write a story that you're proud to tell. At minimum, write a story that you're not embarrassed to tell. Write a story that you will be proud to tell others. We're going to look at an example from the scripture of a guy who wrote the best story. One of my favorite characters in the, in, in the Old Testament especially is Joseph. Joseph Okay, for those who don't know, Joseph is a very important figure in, in, in biblical history. Joseph was one of 12 brothers, and he was number 11 in the sequence. So the guy had uh, the 10 older brothers, and then he was number 11, and then he had a younger brother after that. Of the 12, okay, Joseph's father's name was Jacob. Of the 12, Joseph was the spoiled brat of the bunch. He was his daddy's favorite. His daddy used to give him special gifts. His daddy wouldn't make him do the hard work. Like all the older brothers had to do work in the field. But Joseph got to sit at home and take care of himself. He didn't have to do anything. As you can imagine, Joseph's older brothers didn't care much for the little spoiled brat. Okay? They thought that he was, well, I won't say what they thought he was, but I'll just show you what they thought about him by what they do to him. We're going to pick up the story here in Genesis chapter 37, verse 20. One time they see Joseph in a field, okay, approaching them, and this is what the scripture says. They see him approaching and they say, come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. Just right off the bat right there, okay? Like I got older brothers and we used to fight all the time, but man, these guys go from like zero to 60 like in no time. 
Okay, these guys didn't start with let's, you know, give him a wedgie or the wet willy thing or let's hide his, you know, clothes. Like, they went straight to let's just kill the guy and throw him in some kind of pit and say an animal devoured him. Like, these guys did not mess around. As soon as the brother said this, the oldest brother is a voice of reason, okay, which is the oldest. His name is Reuben. He steps in and kind of saves the day a little bit, sort of, but we'll see what happens. Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And then Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So Reuben steps in and says, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a well. So I don't know if that's a win or a loss. I, I, I debated back and forth, okay? It might have been more merciful just to die, but it said, okay, you know what? He's not that bad of a guy. Let's just throw him in the well. And the brother's like, okay, we can do that. But Reuben's mindset was let's throw him in the well, let's all go back, and then Reuben was going to come save him. They throw him in the well. Reuben must have stepped away to go to the bathroom or something like that because while Reuben was gone for a minute, the brothers got together and said, okay, instead of just leaving him here in the well, let's sell him. My microphone keep cutting out like that. Okay, but hopefully it'll be okay. Um, let's sell him. If it keeps happening, I'll take a handheld mic. But they say, they say, let's sell him. Let's make a couple bucks off the guy. Because this way, we just throw him in a pit and we go back the same way we came. But if we can sell him, we can put, get lunch on the way home. So they find a caravan of slave traders who's on their way to Egypt. And basically they say, we got a young guy. We're willing to sell him to you as a slave. And we'll sell him to you at wholesale. And you could go to Egypt and sell him at retail. Okay, that's the way it worked back then. So they decide, you know what? They're going to sell him as a slave. And they're going to go back and tell their dad that the kid died and, you know, poor kid, whatever it may be. And they're thinking to themselves, we're so happy. We're so happy. We are so smart. I'll tell you what they were not thinking when they made that decision. They were not thinking, what story do I want to tell? Our subject today is Joseph, but we can't leave these brothers aside. Can you imagine these 11 brothers or 10 brothers, I should say, when their kids asked them, Whatever happened to Uncle Joe? Can you imagine what their story would be? First of all, if they told the truth, the story would go something like this. Oh, oh it was a day. Sunny day. Lot uh, going on that day. Oh, yeah, and Uncle Joe came by, and we were jealous because we were immature, and we had envy and hatred. So we decided, first we were debating, do we kill him or do we just throw him in a pit? And then we decided, option three, we're going to sell him as a slave. Oh, that was some good days. Oh, and then let me tell you whatever happened from that, after that. That's when Grandpa, Jacob, that's when he went into depression for the rest of his life. That's when Grandma decided to stop talking to anybody because she lost her baby. And that's when basically every Christmas and every Thanksgiving became super awkward because 10 of us had this little secret, but no one else knew. Oh, those were the days. And add on top of that, their story, which beautiful story which I just told you, is going to be read by billions and billions and billions of people. It's going to name them one by one. Billions of people are going to read their story for all eternity and know their names. That's not what they were thinking. Now, we'll move on the story, but before I move on the story, I just want to say something here. I just I can't leave this point. When they were making this bad decision, notice Reuben was the oldest and came in and said, hey guys, let's not do that. My experience says 100% of the time, 
there's always a Reuben in this story. Always a Reuben. In your story, there's a Reuben. There's always a voice of reason. There's always a voice that says, are we sure we want to do that? Are we sure we want to take that step? Maybe we should pull the plug right here. Maybe uh, let's think about it and do it tomorrow. There's always a person. Sometimes it's a text message. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's a sermon. Maybe it's just a nudge inside. There's always a Reuben in the story. When you're about to make that decision, if you just step back, what story do I want to tell? I promise you, you're going to hear a voice coming from somewhere, a voice coming from somewhere, and that's Reuben who's there to save you and tell you, do you want this as part of your story? Let's go back to the story. They sell Joseph. Joseph is now in Egypt. He's purchased by a rich man named Potiphar. Rich man named Potiphar put, puts him to work as a servant in his house. Servant, slave, call it whatever it is that you want. Here's Joseph, did nothing wrong in his life. He's had now to leave his family. Okay, he's in a foreign country, foreign gods, foreign people, and he's a slave to this rich guy named Potiphar. Most of us, most human beings, if this is you, you did nothing wrong, and this is the circumstance you find yourself in, what would be your mindset towards serving in Potiphar's house? You would say, just like I would say, the story's over. The story's over. Like I had a good run as a child, had that nice coat that dad gave me, and then basically my story ended when my brothers threw me in a well and sold me as a slave. But Joseph was smart enough to realize my story is just getting started. So Joseph said, you know what? I'm going to keep writing and I'm going to be the best servant in the house. And Joseph didn't try to escape. All servants tried to escape. He didn't. Joseph didn't do bare minimum. All servants did bare minimum because they were servants. There was no room for promotion, really. Okay, like Joseph eventually becomes head servant, but he's still a servant. Joseph worked hard. Joseph was honest. Joseph was faithful. Joseph was writing a story and the story that most people would have been sold as a slave, bitter the rest of his life. Joseph said, that's not my story. My story is mistreated paid a price that didn't do anything to deserve it, but worked hard, honest, trusted God, knew that all things work together for good to those who love God and trusted that there's still more to the story. That's who Joseph was. And we see this, the result of that, Genesis 39, verse six. It says, thus he, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. In other words, Potiphar, recognized the story being written. Potiphar said, of all the servants, Joseph, you're the top. And even though you're not one of our people, but he gave him full control over his household. And you would think, that's verse 6, verse 7 would then say, and Joseph lived happily ever after. But unfortunately, it doesn't. Now what you're going to see is that sometimes making the right decision doesn't always get rewarded in a positive way. Joseph did everything right. Verse 7, now we're going to see his story intersects with somebody else's, and that's Potiphar's wife. Verse 7, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. You're Joseph. You're 19, 20 years old. You've been mistreated by your family, you were thrown in a well, sold as a slave. You are in Egypt now. In your mind, this is where you're going to live and die. There's no hope of going back to your homeland. There's no hope of going back to, to mom and dad. There's no hope of going, going back and getting a nice Hebrew woman to marry. There's no hope of marriage. There's nothing. You're 19, 20 years old. You're a single guy. You're far away from anything. And here comes the boss's wife and tries to seduce you. 
Ladies may not understand what I'm about to say, but guys will get this. This is the dream scenario. This is the dream scenario. And I forgive me. I know I shouldn't be saying this. I'm a priest. I'll confess after. But this is how guys think, okay? We are disgusting people, yes. This is the dream scenario because this is the ultimate. It's not my fault. I had no choice. I have to obey. Isn't the Bible say obey authority? So go ahead, lady. I'm yours. And you can't blame him. He didn't do anything wrong. He was just being obedient to his masters and his servants. Ladies don't get it. Guys get it even though you won't admit that you get it, okay? That's what everyone would think. But Joseph thought to himself, what story do I want to tell? Do I want to tell the story that I sinned against God? Do I want to tell the story that I betrayed my master? Do I want to tell the story that after all that I did and all that I lived my life, this is the end? That I just have, 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 have sex with the lady, the, the, the foreign lady, and this is just like I just become like all the other servants and just do whatever? Is that, is that how I want my story to end? Verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. He's even preaching to the lady. Good for him. And then he says, this is verse 9. This is a, great, this is a good memory verse for us. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? In other words, what he's saying, in the least judgmental way, he's not saying in a judgmental way, he's saying, look, lady, I get it, that's what you do. And I get it, every other servant, Joseph wasn't the only one that, that Potiphar's wife had made advances on, okay? This is, this is probably the way of the, the, of, of the house, everyone knew, and it was just Joseph's turn in line. And Joseph basically saying, look, I get it, that's what they do, I get it, that's what you do, but lady, that's not me. Because you don't know me, and not in an arrogant way, but I have a higher calling. I have a higher authority. I'm a child of the Most High, the King of the universe. That's my daddy. So you know what? With all due respect to Potiphar and his authority, with all due respect to you and your authority, and I know that you can have me killed, I would rather my story say that I stood with God and I died and paid the consequences for that versus that I was a coward and I gave in. And I allow lust to make the decisions for me. I have to choose one of those two stories. I choose that story. So you can do what you want to me, lady, but I cannot commit this great wickedness and sin against God. And how beautiful is that? Like sometimes I think to myself, and this is for all of us here, sometimes I think to myself, how great would it be if my story in the end was that I trusted God too much? I trusted, like that's what I want my story to be. That I was in a tough situation, but you know what? He trusted God all, to a fault. He trusted God. That's the best story that you could imagine. That's the story that Joseph is writing right here. The result, verse 10. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or be with her. Joseph's, Joseph's decision is even greater when you put it in the context of it. It wasn't a one-time decision. It was day by day by day by day. She kept trying to wear him down, wear him down, but he stood strong. Now, of course... Potiphar's wife was not happy about Joseph's morality. First, she gets angry, and then she gets even. She basically goes to her husband and says, he tried to, seduce, tried to rape me, and Potiphar now has Joseph thrown in the dungeon. Now, if Potiphar, Potiphar knew that his wife was 
friendly with the servant, shall we say. If Potiphar really thought that Joseph was trying to rape his wife, he would have done what to Joseph? They had him killed on the spot. He's just a slave. Okay, they had a, they, they, he could be easily replaceable. But he didn't. He put him in prison. Why? Because he knew, most likely, that the wife was the instigator, and he kind of liked Joseph, but he had to do something to appease the wife. And which goes to show that no matter whether it's today or back then or wherever, whatever your authority in life, the rule is always the same. Happy wife? Happy wife! <laughs> so Potiphar throws the guy in prison. And now, the second time in Joseph's young life, he's not even 20 years old, the second time in his young life, he's done everything right and found himself in a dungeon. First time it was in a well, like in a pit, and now it's literally in a dungeon. And both times, he did absolutely nothing wrong. Me and you, I'm done the story right now. Joseph, we're just getting started. Verse 21, while he's in that prison, it says a strange verse. It says, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. We're going to continue the story in a second, but I just wanted to pause here and say, this verse is confusing to me. Because I would think it would say, if the Lord was with Joseph, he would be at home with his mom and his dad. Or I would think that if the Lord was with Joseph he'd have given him the key to the prison. <laughs> or if the Lord was with Joseph, there'd been some kind of earthquake or some kind of lightning or something. But it says the Lord was with Joseph, but he still found himself in those same circumstances. Let me ask you a question. How can it be that God was with Joseph and God was blessing Joseph and God was working mightily in Joseph's life, but he's still in prison? How can that be? Very simple. The story's not over. We're not done the story. If you get to the end of the story, and that's Joseph's life, okay. But we're still in the middle of the story. And did you realize that some of us, this causes us some problems sometimes. You're getting upset about how God, what God is doing in your story. Where's God? Where's God? Where's God? You're not done the story. Like you can't go to a movie, watch the first half of it, and be like, that movie stunk. None of it made any sense. The good guys, like, stick around to the end of the story. And some of us, this is what you need to hear today. You are in chapter three of a 10 chapter story. So be patient. That doesn't mean just because you're in the prison that God's not with you. It just means there's still more chapters. And we're still writing chapter four today. And we're writing chapter five next day. And, chapter, and get to the end and then tell me that God wasn't with you. Get to the end and tell me that God didn't work. But Joseph was smart enough to figure that out. Verse 22. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. There's that same expression. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So now, again, for the second time, when he was a servant, he was the most faithful servant, he got promoted to the top. Now he's a prisoner, and he becomes the number one prisoner, which I don't know if that's an award, but he gets the award for best prisoner of the year. Okay, And the keeper of the prison says, this guy is honest. This guy is faithful. This guy's not trying to kill me. This guy, like, I can trust this guy. There's his story. There's his story. There's his story. While he's in prison, Joseph meets two other prisoners. He meets the, a baker and a cupbearer. Okay, people who used to work in the, for, for the king. A baker and a cupbearer. And both of these, God is working in, in mysterious ways. Both the baker and the cupbearer have these weird dreams and they asked Joseph to interpret their dreams because they knew that he did that kind of a thing. So Joseph says, sure, let me give it a shot. First, the cupbearer goes 
and tells him his dream. And Joseph says, good news. Your dream means you're about to be restored. You're about to get released from prison. And you're going to go back to your job as the king's cupbearer, which is like the personal assistant. Congratulations. So then the baker's like, okay, now tell me mine. And he tells the baker, this is bad news. Yours means that you're going to get killed. In three days, you're going to be leaving here just like the cupbearer, but you're going to be killed. And the, which, which the baker's thinking, I should have gone first. Should, I should have told my first. But he didn't. And exactly as he predicted happened. The baker gets killed. The cupbearer gets restored. And we're going to read what happens when the cupbearer gets restored. But I want to show you a verse here from verse 14. That this is what happens after the, after, when Joseph told the cupbearer he's going to get restored. He tells him, this shows Joseph's humanity that he wasn't a superman. But remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. You know why that's such a beautiful verse? Because it shows Joseph, Joseph wasn't, wasn't Superman. Joseph wasn't like a, some, kind of, some kind of robot, which is just like, I like being in wells. It doesn't face me. I like being thrown in prison. No, Joseph was just like me and you. And Joseph was just like, this stinks. This is the worst. I did nothing to deserve this. I helped you. Now, brother, help me out. When you get restored, don't forget about me. I hate it here. This is the worst. I every day pray that I can get out of this place. And God hasn't answered that prayer yet. But maybe the God is going to work through you. So please. Joseph's a human being. Like I said, Joseph tells this to the guy. The guy says, I got you, Joseph. You help me, I got you. The cupbearer gets restored. What do you think happens the next day after the cupbearer gets restored in Joseph's mind? Cupbearer leaves to go back to the king and Joseph's thinking to himself, I'm packing my bags. Packing my bags. I'm sure that it's just now a matter of days. I'm sure that the cupbearer's going to remember me and he's going to tell Pharaoh, let the guy out and I'm going to be on my way pretty soon. So every day after that, for that week after, anytime a guard would walk down the hall, Joseph would be like, Come and get me. I'm ready to go. He's thinking every time that they're going to come and take. And the guard just walks right by. And then the next day, another guard, and he's like, I got my bag packed. I'm ready to go. And the guard just walks right by. And every single day, probably every day, a little bit less hope, a little bit less hope, a little bit less hope. But guess what happened? Verse 23, the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. <sighs> First the brothers in the well. Then the Egypt with the Potiphar and the lady in the funny business. Then the prison. And now this. What I want to point out. A good story isn't easy to write. You want a good story told about you? You want to tell a good story? It takes toughness. The word that I put in my notes here is it takes grit. You all know what grit is? It takes grit. It takes, to use another word, which we used to say when we were young, but I don't know if it's a word, stick to You heard that word before? stick to Resilience. Or resiliency. I don't know which one's right. Whatever it is. Okay? It takes toughness. The people who write the great stories don't walk around on clouds, okay, and with flower petals their whole life, and great stories are written about them. The people who write great stories are people who roll up their sleeves. They take punch after punch after punch, kick and spit, and they're fighting their way out. And that's the only way that you're going to tell a good story when all is said and done. And no one makes that more clear than Joseph. 
Because Joseph, when he couldn't take any more, took another shot. But Joseph never gave up. Kept writing that story. Soon, to kind of fast forward the story here, Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can interpret the dream. And that butler, that cupbearer, says, I remember a few years ago, there was this guy. What was that guy's name? Jeff? I think it was Jeff. No, no, it was John. It was John. And they're like, I know no one named John. And he's like, oh, Joseph. Yeah, there was a guy named Joseph. He helped me with a dream. Pharaoh, maybe we can ask him. Pharaoh calls Joseph. Joseph tells him, your dream is, again, good news and bad news. The good news is you're going to have seven years in the nation of, of great prosperity. And they're going to have like a bumper crop. So you're going to have so much harvest. But then after that, you're going to have seven years of famine. Okay, so you're going to have like seven years of the dot-com boom. And then you're going to have seven years of the Great Depression coming right after that. So he says, what you need to do, and he came up with a plan for him. During the seven years of harvest, reserves. Okay, store away a little bit, store away a little bit, store away a little bit, store away a little bit. So when the famine comes, you're prepared. And it happened exactly as Joseph said. And when the famine hit, the whole world, okay, at least the, the, that, that region, had a great famine and had no bread. Only one country did. That was Egypt. And now Egypt became the strongest country in the world because everyone had to come to them to beg for food and to beg, beg for rations. That was all because of Joseph. Pharaoh sees that exactly as Joseph said. So he puts Joseph, just like the, the prison guard did, just like Potiphar did, he promotes Joseph to the number two guy in his regime. And he puts him in control of all the stuff. Basically like the prime minister of this land of Egypt. Now, again, pausing the story right here. How could it be how Joseph came out? Joseph was a Hebrew in the land of Egypt. Joseph was a slave. Joseph was a prisoner. Joseph was a man accused of raping Potiphar's wife. How that guy ended up being the prime minister of the most powerful nation in the world at the time. How could that be? Easy. Because every person, every single person, every, every single, doesn't like the word every single person, because every single person who read Joseph's story saw that he was the best. His story spoke for itself. Joseph didn't need anyone to vouch for him. Joseph didn't need to prove himself because his story was evidence enough. That's why I want to tell you something. It's about your story. What story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell? Let me ask you a different question. It's related. Is when you tell the story of your life, what character do you want to be? And I already know the answer. Because if you're like me, especially if you're like me, you want to be the hero of your story, don't you? You want your story to show that you are the hero. You certainly don't want to be the villain, and I don't want to be bystander number six, okay? You want your story, when all is said and done, to say how you overcame, and you were faithful, and you were strong. And what I'm telling you is, if you want your story to say that you're a hero, then start making decisions like a hero. Would a hero send that email? Would a hero spend five years holding a grudge over that? Would a hero end that relationship? Would a hero be so scared to take that step? Would a hero approach his career that way? Come on. You're better. You're not bystander number six. You're not the sidekick guy. You're Batman. You're Superman. You be the hero of your story. 
and start making decisions as such. You be the hero of your house. You be the hero in your office place. You be the hero of your story. So when someone stands up here to tell your story, it's very obvious who the hero is. I feel like God designed us for that role. God gave us the tools for that role. Some of us, we've accepted. We've accepted that we're just, like I said, passenger number six. We've accepted that we're just the guy in the background. We're just an extra in the story. Somebody else's story is very nice, but us? I don't accept that. Back to Joseph. Fast forward the story right here. Like I said, Joseph saved the whole world. Egypt is the strongest place on the planet. They're the only place that has grain. Everyone from around the world comes and asks food from Egypt, and Joseph is the guy who's making the determination who gets it. Lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, who comes begging for food one day? Joseph's brothers. Not knowing that Joseph is the guy, not even knowing that Joseph is alive. As far as they know, he died 25 years before that. All they know is that they're hungry, they have no bread, and this man who sits in front of them, dressed with the, the Egyptian garb so they can't recognize him, they need his help. And he recognizes them. And now look how the roles have reversed. Before, 25 years earlier, he was in a pit. They were up there laughing at him. And he was begging them, screaming, please, save me. Don't do this. Please, I beg you. I'll give you whatever you want. Please, I beg you. I beg you. I beg you. I beg you. And he was a kid. And these are not like street people. These are his brothers. His older brothers threw their 17-year-old brother in a pit. They're supposed to protect him. They threw him in a pit. And they were up there, ha, 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 laughing at him. And they probably, okay, afterwards, that he could, he could even hear them talking, okay, as they were figuring out, where should we go to lunch after this? Do you guys want to get Chipotle or should we get something fast casual? Like, they, he could hear that. And he's down there and they're, they're just laughing. And now all of a sudden, the roles are reversed. Now all of a sudden, I'm in the chair. And you're down there begging for food. What would you do if you're Joseph? Okay, let me ask a better question. Would anybody blame Joseph if he got revenge? Would anybody blame Joseph and say, you know what, you're a bad man if you took it back out on them? He was 17. They ruined his life. They ruined his life, and they did it on purpose. I would say, and you would agree with me, that whatever Joseph wanted to do to them, he would be justified. No one would blame him. <clears throat> but that's not how Joseph thinks. That's not how the hero thinks. The hero thinks to himself, do I want revenge in my story? Do I want God even on my story? Do I want torture them on my story? And he makes a different decision. Chapter 45, verse 4 through 8. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me look at that that's a hero for God sent me before you to preserve life God sent me before you to preserve austerity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance so now it was not you who sent me here but God to which we all say ah 
That, ladies and gentlemen, that is a story worth telling. That's a story that deserves to be read for the rest of history. A story, if the story was that he killed them, then he tortured them, that's not a story. It might not even be in the scriptures. That's not a story that's worth telling. That's not an inspirational story. That's not a hero. That's a guy. That's what that is. A guy. I don't want to be a guy. And you don't want to be just a guy. I want to be a hero. And Joseph realized how to do that. Bottom line, today's decision equals tomorrow's story. Today's decision equals tomorrow's story. Whatever you're going through today, maybe you had a rough 2023. I know a lot of people had a rough 2023. Maybe you went through some tough times relationally. Maybe you went through some tough times spiritually, financially, emotionally, whatever it may be. You went through some rough times. But you get to write the story of what happens next. What do you want it to say? Do you want the story to be, you went through rough times, you isolated from church, you isolated from your family, you isolated from your friends, you got really good at video games, and that was pretty much the end of your life. That sets you on a course. Or do you want your story to be, that was hard, you had faith in God, you leaned on your friends and your family, you sought to get out of that pit one step at a time, and it was a hard time, but 2024, you got that ship turned around. You may be in a situation where you know what? You're single. And you're looking for Mr. Right or Miss Right. And you don't know much, but you say, I know one thing. Father Anthony, it ain't the 1960s anymore. That whole like virgin till marriage stuff, man, that stuff doesn't apply anymore. And you get to choose how you write your story. Do you want your story to say, when in Rome? Mom, Dad, tell me, tell me the story of how you guys met. When in Rome, we just went the flow. Everyone around us was living a certain way of morality, so we went with it. Or you could tell a completely different story, that you stood by what you knew was right, and you ended up living a heroic life. What story do you want to tell? The challenge today is for each one of us to think to ourselves of not just today's decision in a vacuum, but today's decision as part of tomorrow's story. So like I said, if you're single, the decisions you make today, you're going to tell that story one day, at least you should tell that story one day, to your future spouse. Are you proud to tell that story to the guy or the girl that you want to spend the rest of your life with? If you're engaged, the way you're approaching engagement you're going to tell that story to your kids one day when they, ask, when they talk about their period of engagement. If you're married, then you're going to tell that story to your grandkids one day of how you raised, raised their parents and how you approach the situation. If you're a leader at work, the decision that you're making when no one is watching, you're going to stand in front of your team one day and you're going to tell that story. There's no decision that you're making today that isn't ultimately going to be part of your story. So our challenge is this. I will do everything in my power to write a story I'm proud to tell. Say that with me. I will do everything in my power to write a story I'm proud to tell. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to the people that love you. You owe it to, them, to yourself to write. I'll take that just, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much.
you owe it to them, and you owe it, you owe it to them, you owe it to them. You owe it to them. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to the people, like I said, that you don't even know who it is. You owe it to yourself to pause and ask yourself the question, what story do I want to tell? Not what do I want to do in the immediate, but where do I want to end up in the ultimate? Because soon the decision will pass, the emotions will subside, all the noise will be gone, and all that will be left is the decision that you make as part of your story. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you poured into us and all that you've given to us. And even though we don't always see the goodness in everything, Lord, we know that each one of us is set up today to be a hero in our own story. Even if chapter one and chapter two and chapter three, and even if the last 10 chapters, we weren't the hero. Lord, today we want to start living and making decisions as heroes. So please, Lord, give us the courage and the strength and the wisdom to be able to do that one decision at a time. We pray these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Here's Lord, as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart and we pray that it will not only inform you but will also transform you and your life with Christ.